I talk about this uh, a lot that the companies that we're seeing in the space industry in New Zealand are working on disruptive technologies. So pioneering technologies that if they become successful, they will impact and disrupt the whole world, not just New Zealand. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Recently, I had the fantastic opportunity to sit down with Emmeline Pat Dahlstrom and Eric Dahlstrom, the co-founders of Spacebase and winners of the 2023 Care Friends of New Zealand Award which was presented uh, very recently at the Care World Class Awards Dinner in Auckland. Uh, it was fantastic to be there and, and participate uh, and, to, and to see those uh, award presentations uh, of incredible, incredible Kiwis and, of, and of course, uh, friends of Kiwis. Now, with over three decades of experience in the space industry, Eric and Emmeline are both passionate space technologists and educators who have worked with NASA, International Space University, Singularity U, and many other organizations. Through their space-based initiative in New Zealand, they're focusing on educating and advising different regions throughout the country on how to collaborate and leverage their own strengths and capabilities in the space sector. Together, they run programs and challenges to foster space education, entrepreneurship, and innovation uh, right around the world, but with a huge focus here in New Zealand. So before we jump in, I'd like to thank our show partners for their incredible support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So a big thank you to 1NZ, 2Degrees, Spark, HP, and Guerrilla Technology. Let's jump in. Eric. And Emmeline, thank you very much for uh, joining me today on the podcast. Real pleasure to uh, to sit down for a chat with you both. Thanks yeah. so much for having yeah. us. Thank you. Well, let's uh, let, let's jump in. Um, I always enjoy you know hearing a little bit about the backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, shall we you know start start with you? What's, okay. uh, what's what's your background? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm from the U.S. I I grew up in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and. Uh, very early on, I was into astronomy and black holes, and so I studied uh, physics and at the University of North Carolina, um, focusing on black hole research, and then went to uh, University of Maryland, where I studied uh, astronomy, radio astronomy, infrared astronomy. And but along that time, I started getting more interested in the broader space activities. Um, so I learned everything I could about the space shuttle and the plans for a space station and things like that. And, uh, and I actually, uh, started working in the space area for NASA Goddard and then later, uh, NASA Langley, where I worked on, uh, space station design. I had to scramble to get a engineering, uh, training because I was hired as a space engineer before I even had taken an engineering course, which is pretty <laughs> scary. So so don't ask me to build a bridge or anything. It would be very, very dangerous. But, uh, but so I, anyway, that was, I, I was working on space station design for many years at NASA Langley and, uh, and then following big, big space projects around the country until uh, 
ending up in, in uh, uh, California working on uh, space startups. Oh, that's, that's really cool. And, and Emmeline, how about you? Yeah, so I'm originally from the Philippines. I lived there for maybe like a third of, of my life, basically. And I'm this geeky person who's always been uh, fascinated with Star Wars and Star Trek. Um, I really wanted to, to go up in space at some point. But having been born in a developing country where there's almost zero opportunity to do that, it's, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pipe dream. But then um, I said that the only way potentially to kind of like have a pathway is to uh, uh, go in a physics career. So I did an undergrad in physics. And then I won kind of like the golden ticket of getting a scholarship to the International Space University, which at that time uh, had just done their first sort of like inaugural program. And that really changed sort of like my life. I moved to Europe, uh, lived there for quite a bit, did my master's in Earth and Space Science in Canada before um, moving to uh, the U.S. So Eric and I actually met at the International Space University, so we're bo both alumni. Um, and, and then we moved to, to the U.S. And uh, there I... I first basically worked for also for the International Space University, working on their uh, pro on program development of their master's program, and then running their their summer program that goes in a different country every year. Um, so I, I love to travel, um, and uh, the other uh, part of that is I also got recruited to work for Space Adventures, which is the very first space tourism company uh, that has sent private citizens basically to the International Space Station if you pay between like 20 to $50 million. Uh, that was then. Um, wow. That was 20 years ago. <laughs> wow. And then um, worked uh, as well for Singularity University because the, the founders of ISU is, similar, is the same uh, as uh, SU and also the same as Space Adventures, which is um, Peter Diamandis. Um, and so worked for Singularity for almost eight years. And that's also where uh, this space startup companies that are now very famous today have come from the summer program uh, as like just team projects at, at that time. And then, well and behold, like 10 years after, they're now the, the very well-known kind of like startups in the space industry today. Yeah, Emmeline got a good reputation for being the person that could do everything, and and uh, was uh, that's why Peter Diamandis, whenever he formed a new company, would try to recruit Emmeline to help, and she was uh, the third employee in in these uh, uh, new startups, and that uh, letting them grow to you know two hundred people and things like that. Wow! So you know. What is it that that drives you, Emmeline? How do you how do you, how do you keep up and uh, and and build a reputation like that? Well, I think it's because of my well, okay. So my personal passion is someday I hope to actually fly in space. So that's been the, my driving force, kind of personally. But I think my real passion is being um, having been able to. Uh, live in a developing world and seeing kind of like that sort of like extreme side of, of things and then 
also being uh, able to work in at the forefront of like technology and space. So I've seen both sides uh, and just seeing that there's a lot of opportunity and that the future of humanity is tied to the space industry. Um, and if we really believe that, then we want to make sure that everybody uh, actually comes along for their ride. But unfortunately today, that's not the case. Uh, that uh, that disparity actually is getting bigger, where most of the spacefaring countries or most of the, the rich countries uh, today are dominating the, the industry and we don't want to, and want to make sure that nobody gets left behind. And so that is my passion, is which is sort of the the reason why we created Space Base. Um, and we think that the only way, or maybe the the best way to do it, is to make sure that you catalyze ecosystems in those countries where they it doesn't uh, exist yet. Um, and that's sort of why we're here uh, yeah, in, in, yeah. in New Zealand. So. Uh, Walk us through a, a, a little bit, um, you know, why you think space is, is so important to, you know, to our future. Yeah, so there's many, uh, there's many reasons why people focus on space. Um, there's the traditional one where it's uh, for science and exploration, which is great. I mean, that's sort of like what propelled us to go to the moon and uh, go explore the, the solar system and beyond. Uh, then there's the the uh, reason for saying that you know it's Plan B because we we run out of resources here uh, and we need to make sure that uh, you know that we could find all of those resources that will be needed for the future generations and that's that's one thing. Uh, the other thing as well is that um, which I think. Um, we in space base uh, really more focuses on the, is that we think that the grand challenges of today can actually be solved um, uh, by space technology or, or that space technology will play a big role in solving uh, what we have challenges today. And so that's sort of like another reason why we focus on a lot of things that are basically earth facing. Mm. Which includes some of the activities that we do with like challenges and, okay, and stuff. Okay, and and you know, for listeners that are, that are maybe trying to connect up the the dots, you know, what are some of the past, uh, you know, things that that is, have been you know achieved that achieved that sort of stand out in your mind, you know, because of work in space that has you know benefited, uh, you know, humanity to date. Yeah, so I think people take for granted. Uh, the space technology and the space industry yes, today because it's flying do. under the radar. They don't think that it's actually uh, space enabled. So, uh, you know, we have GPS, our phones. Like, how do you get from one place? And you use Google Maps all every day. You check your the weather reports every day without all of uh, without satellites. This would not happen. You go use Uber. That would not work if you actually uh, had uh, no uh, uh, the the basically the, the the systems that are in space today. So there's a lot of things that we take certainly for granted uh, that are part of our daily life, uh, and so nobody can actually say that you know that space uh, does not affect them in their in their daily life because it, it does. Our friends in in California, you know, were 
were building smaller and smaller satellites for NASA, and they, but they finally said, wait a minute, um, these these phones we're carrying around are super powerful. They're almost like uh, spacecraft themselves, um, and they just. Uh, one of them just took his phone and launched it into space uh, and tested it and remotely controlled and took pictures with his phone and transmitted it down. And uh, and that allowed them to realize that all these components that used to be built, you know, specialized for, for space, like uh, $30,000 accelerometers, or actually can be replaced by a $1 chip that's in your phone. It's an accelerometer. That's and uh, And so that's that – is why are they they built the company Planet, which now has more than 200 uh, these small satellites um, scanning the Earth every day. Mm. And so, uh, though that uh, that ability to to take a look at the entire Earth every day and see the changes is has made uh, so much difference for for monitoring so many different things that you know they're um, all the time in in the newspapers and on on the news reports their their uh, satellite images are being used just to report on on daily events um, but the uh, so there's there big constellations like that you know earth observing and then there's there's things like uh, in the the SpaceX Starlink which is uh, you know for uh, that we were using uh, we were one of the earliest users in in New Zealand to get our high-speed internet through mm. uh, a satellite link. And now you can have, you know, you can have a, a, a home in, on top of a mountain in, in New Zealand and get high-speed internet. And so it's it changes the landscape in that way. Uh, and and there, that's just the first of, of many uh, of these uh, uh, services that like that. And so it's, so we're, we're uh, having these systems in a, connect more and more into different aspects of our life now. And, uh, uh, but, but I think the, the most important thing is, is the, uh, uh, all these measurements of, you know, the state of climate change and the changing weather patterns and things like that, they're all, all being monitored by, uh, a fleet of, of earth, earth observing sp spacecraft and, and both NASA and European union have, uh, have opened up their their data archives for so that have you have free access to all these things and that's one of the things we try to communicate in our our uh, our messages is that uh, you know a student with a laptop with an internet connection has more power than than NASA did you know uh, 20 years ago and and so it's uh, you you can really at attack uh, big problems uh, just with the uh, access you have now. Now, you know, it seems, um, you know, part of your work is, is really supporting what we might call the democratization of, of space. I think what are the other, you know, aspects that are, you know, driving and facilitating that sort of democratization um, of, of space? You know, I guess, you know, here in New Zealand, you know, Rocket Lab's probably, you know, part of that picture, but mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's so many other uh, elements. I mean, it seems when you drill into, for instance, the space ecosystem here uh, in New Zealand, you know, uh, I think probably the, the 
large percentage of the population, you know, wouldn't recognise that, you know, there's there's dozens of companies that are, you know, active within the space sector. There's, you know, there's lots and lots going on. Yeah. So maybe just to add to what Eric also mentioned, I think the underlying uh, trend here is this exponential accelerating technologies uh, that is really democratising uh, things. So, you know, uh, computing, AI, robotics, biotech, nanotech, um, basically Moore's Law, where the price performance of computing is doubling every 18 months, and which then means that any technology that is based on computing will have the same accelerating growth. So, uh, w- which is why uh, the space techno- technology or the space industry is is having the same uh, kind of like accelerated uh, and and increase sort of just within the the last decade, which would never have happened like maybe a decade before because yes. we were still on that sort of uh, uh, like linear part of of the the graph, yeah, uh, and yeah. we're now at the inflection point where everything is going to be accelerating. And it's not just the technology that's accelerating; the change is accelerating. So there's a lot of, of things happening, which is for us uh, really great to see that just within the past uh, two years um, that there has been startup companies that are being birthed in New Zealand that are actually uh, space startups, as opposed to, you know, businesses that are already existed before, but they're just creating a new business line mm, um, mm, or service mm, yes. uh, that is focused or has some applications for space, um, which, which is really fantastic, kind of like to see. The other trend that we're seeing as well is that uh, traditional investors, which used to uh, in New Zealand would be, um, you know, be investing in sure wins, <laughs> like real estate, for example, uh, are now beginning to see the relevance uh, and the opportunity for space. It might be a long-term uh, thing, but then at least we're now seeing some of those major uh, investors in New Zealand that are actually investing in this, like startup companies, which is also another great thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just VCs, it's not just angels, but uh, that um, uh, you know, banks are are also beginning to to see that they need to also focus uh, in this particular industry, mm. which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what was it that brought you both to New Zealand? How did you how did you make that decision? It's a it's a pretty big deal to you know to to pack up uh, you know where you've been working and living for a long time and, and move to uh, another part of the world. So in 2016, when uh, the New Zealand Space Agency was just starting and then Rocket Lab actually hasn't uh, launched yet, the Edmund Hillary Fellowship Program uh, got started, which is for investors and entrepreneurs to come to New Zealand, work on an impactful uh, project that could scale. Uh, and a friend of mine basically uh, told us that that it exists and that uh, somehow space is becoming a thing here. And so we thought it's the, just the perfect time <laughs> to do it. And we applied and we got in. So we were uh, on the first cohort of the, the, the fellowship. 
Um, and so, yeah, it, it is certainly a leap of faith, um, but it's something that we're, yeah, because we've been always interested in New Zealand anyway. Um, and it, I think uh, going, thinking back over the, the things that we've done over the past six years, I think it's the best uh, place to actually prototype and understand how you could uh, create ecosystems um, because of just uh, because of many things, plus also that New Zealand has op um, how do you say it uh, uh, opened the doors to us, and it was easy to kind of like implement and do the activities that the. Uh, we did um, over those years and would have been harder if we were doing it, for example, from Silicon Valley, where we came from. Mm -hmm. And so we were, we, when we arrived and we were very enthusiastic and met with the uh, uh, people at, uh, at MB and said, uh, first off, we're going to make a directory of all the space companies in New Zealand. And they said, um, are there three? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> and so, uh, but actually, uh, Emily made a big effort and found uh, 240 uh, companies and organizations that have some space connection in New Zealand, and uh, and so they, that was uh, that was one a big shock to us in from coming from California is that how hard it was to get uh, New Zealanders to admit to all the cool things they were doing, and uh, normally in California you like self promote you know, within 10 minutes. And, but, uh, in New Zealand, it's, you have to sort of, uh, really work to get the, uh, to learn about all the cool stuff that's going on. Uh, <laughs> but then later in 2019, um, MB contracted, uh, a study, an economic study of the, uh, industry, uh, using, starting with our directory and, uh, interviewed a hundred companies. And, uh, uh, that's where this number of, uh, of the size of the New Zealand space industry of $1.7 billion a year um, has come out. And uh, and I think that woke up a lot of people and, and got a lot of attention from the ministers. Especially because that $1.7 billion is about the same size as the wine industry in New Zealand, which, of course, is, is globally well-known. Mm, 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 mm. But we have our, our friends around the world... Um, you know, when they are very aware of what all the things going on in space in New Zealand. So it's uh, it's definitely making a mark in the, in the world. Um, but, the, you know, there's more and more happening within the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But maybe you can talk a little bit uh, more to, to you know, your work on that front um, with Space Base and, and, you know, the things that you've, uh, you know, you've achieved uh, to date and the other things that are, uh, you know, that are going on. Um, in terms of you know programs, competitions, and 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 the like, uh, and how those those things uh, you know fit into that picture. Yeah. So you mentioned the word ecosystem, um, and of course, uh, an ecosystem means that you're actually influencing all of the stakeholders and all of the players, which which is you know not just academia, not just government. You've got industry. Uh, you've got the innovation um, uh, hubs as well, and all of those things, and of course, the funders, which is very important. Uh, and all of those things need to um, may not grow at the same pace, but they need to all 
be coordinated to actually create the industry that, that needs to happen. So, yeah, since the beginning, we have been trying many different methods of uh, trying to either influence those uh, stakeholders from the top down and then from the bottom up. So when we first started, we were creating like this meetup, uh, just web webinars and meetups just to kind of like pique the interest of, of the public and then also uh, get local people to also come along in the bandwagon and, and, and be uh, promoters, um, enthusiasts uh, to, to create things. And so um, since then, we yeah we we did a meetup in in Wellington. Um, I think we've influenced like trying to to create the New Zealand Student Space Association as well here. We've done uh, a number of briefings all over the country, either to um, banks like BNZ to. Um, doing workshops in the Northlands to kind of like see what their oppor their opportunities and, and needs are to potentially create uh, an ecosystem there. Um, we've also done briefings down, down in the Southland. So this is like local government um, trying to uh, uh, show what the opportunities are. We've done educational uh, programs and presentations all over the place from actually primary school all the way to tertiary. Um, but the, I think the main thing that uh, we certainly have been doing since 2018 is running incentive prizes. So this is uh, the way that we've been doing it is akin to the X Prize, uh, which got started in, in the US where you actually latch onto an important problem um, that can then uh, be potentially solved using satellite uh, or, or space technology. Um, and we use this methodology because for one, you have the potential for solving a problem. Yes, yeah. Uh, which is important uh, to, to the local community, um, but also at the same time, you're catalyzing either innovation, ideas, startups, um, research and development, uh, as well. And then we also found that uh, it was a, the best way for us to also brief the economic development agencies all over the country, um, which would then be supporting the teams that are coming from their their local area. Fantastic. Uh, same way as how we got connected with uh, a lot of the incubators all over the country as well, because they were supporting the teams that were kind of like from their from their area. So we started this as a national space uh, challenge, but then last year we broadened it uh, up to the Pacific region. So now um, we're doing it for New Zealand, Australia, Pacific Islands, and and for this year we added the Philippines as well, uh, which is uh, which is really great because like last year, um, yeah, the the winner uh, from Fiji, uh, which is so we, we, there's two categories like high school and then also university and startups. Um, and the, the focus last year was on carbon sequestration, and um, which could, could lead to potentially carbon credits. And so the winners from Fiji um, had this uh, really sophisticated methodology of using machine learning and counting trees uh, to be able to uh, potentially see how they could apply it to um, carbon credit programs in Fiji. And so now they're, they're collaborating with the Fiji government. Yeah, so and, and that uh, the winner solution there, um, 
I think is uh, it, it someone should be looking at, at the, that team's uh, results in Fiji because it's the same kind of method is going to be needed in a couple of years for New Zealand farms, for example, to, to give you credits for trees anywhere on your property as right. opposed to these, these uh, forest blocks. And mm. so uh, they've already, you know, demonstrated how uh, their, their good correlations with the, uh, with the satellite data and with the, the carbon sequestration numbers. So, uh, so anyway, we, we, th- we think these solutions that are coming up, like, you know, the, a previous one was monitoring pollution levels and in, in lakes and, and was able to detect pollution across New Zealand and all the lakes. And, um, that, uh, these, these solutions that pop out of the, the challenge are something that can be carried on and, 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 uh, turned into useful tools. Uh, so one other thing that we we actually do is uh, we also do technical due diligences for investors. So this is something that we started um, maybe two years ago as well, when now that there's interest from local investors to actually invest in uh, like startup companies. So, we, for example, we did the, the, the technical due diligence for Dawn Aerospace on both of their races, um, same way with Zeno uh, as well. So we've been briefing... Uh, the investors on the opportunities of space here um, as well. That's pretty pretty important to to have that professional expertise uh, available. Now, looking at the the opportunities, you know, for New Zealand for New Zealanders, um, how would you how would you describe that? There's obviously you know economic benefits when we're generating um, export revenue, but how do you you know look at the the opportunity for New Zealand and and you know mm-hmm. other countries that you know you might already be working with or would would work with in the in the future um, from you know really you know growing um, within the sector. Yeah, uh, well, one aspect is uh, this is it's a very global industry, and so uh, people you know will will uh, search around the world for the best uh, component for their spacecraft and things like that. And so when New Zealand uh, companies come up with uh, innovative, you know, part of uh, that can be a part of some spacecraft, uh, the countries around the I mean, uh, other companies around the world will uh, can uh, latch on to that really quickly. And that's that's, for example, with with Zeno's uh, superconducting uh, magnetic torquers uh, attitude control for uh, for the spacecraft. Um, uh, they got one, you know, a, a good demonstration, and suddenly, uh, with a with some satellite constellation, ordered uh, I think seventy million dollars uh, worth of, and so it's it it's one of these things where uh, the good ideas are very are valued around the world. You don't, uh, and and. Part of what we do is we try to connect uh, New Zealand companies with our global network of, of uh, potential customers uh, around the world. So um, you don't have to do the whole thing uh, yourself in New Zealand. You can be just a, um, a player in the global environment. And uh, uh, but but it is in, uh, um, really amazing that you know because of uh, Rocket Lab's capability uh, that and and all the other th- parts, like the things like uh, satellite tracking from here, 
you can really do an end-to-end, uh, you know, full full mission. And that that was point of discussion at the at the Christchurch uh, Aerospace Summit was, uh, uh, you know, is it now the time for New Zealand to do a a full end-to-end uh, New Zealand uh, space mission uh, with using all the a tremendous in-house capability. And so what would be your thoughts on on that idea that, you know, that that was proposed to to do a New Zealand space mission and you know if we were doing something as a as a country, what you know what what sort of, you know, what sort of mission should we be uh, be working towards because when I heard the idea, I had to say it sounded it sounded pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I was pretty quick to tweet that one out. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm kind of you know curious on on your perspectives. Yes, challenge for that first is like to understand what is it, hmm. and so because uh, we're not talking about sending some individual people up right, to space yeah. right now, of course. Right. So, um, so for sure, there is the challenge of first understanding what uh, what that is and. Uh, one thing that you know we were really impressed with was uh, the way that Rocket Lab uh, was selected to be the launch provider for uh, NASA's first uh, element of the Return to the Moon program for the Artemis mm-hmm. program, and so the Capstone mission uh, was launched on an electron with a special uh, interplanetary uh, photon upper stage and. Uh, uh, and is now in orbit around the moon and, and uh, operating uh, successfully. And so uh, it's interesting that, you know, the, the, the lowest cost uh, opportunity to go to the moon and potentially Venus and Mars is through New Zealand. And so uh, it's, it's, uh, it'd be interesting to examine whether or not the public would be interested in, in, uh, in missions like that. Yeah, I think it's certainly something that you would imagine would would capture, um, you know, or would cap- capture a lot of people's imaginations. And yeah, there, there's all sorts of ways that you could tie in the, you know, school systems mm-hmm. through to university. You know, some sort of big challenge. Um, yeah, but you know, whether this, yeah, if this was sort of a government-led initiative, I guess we've got an election on right now. <laughs> so uh, for for those uh, you know parties uh, list, listening in, um, you know, I think there's there's an opportunity yes. there, right, uh, for uh, for government and and uh, yeah, political parties to be uh, you know thinking uh, around the the possibilities because uh, you know I think in, in, in some of these areas. Uh, a, a small upfront investment can have a big uh, long-term yes. return, can it? Yeah. Um, where to next? I know you've been uh, you've had your um, space for Planet Earth Challenge twenty twenty three. That's that's you know been happening um, recently. Yep. Uh, what stage is that at at this point? Yeah, so right now we've just finished phase one of evaluating and down-selecting the teams that have proposed uh, to be part of the incubator. Part of the incubator, yes. Yeah, Um, and so uh, we'll be announcing actually in the Auckland Climate Festival, uh, like I think in two two weeks' time, uh, officially the the teams that uh, will uh, come into the incubator. The incubator will run, which is uh, all online. 
will run between October to February of, of next year. Uh, and then in February, they will actually submit the, the full application, which would then uh, the another set of evaluators would down select for the finalists that will compete in the finals, which would be a demo and pitch session uh, in March. Uh, that will uh, then um, like culminate to uh, grand prizes of like twenty five. And 8K for the university and startup and high school, respectively. And this challenge is about uh, improving the research capability for monitoring methane from satellite data and uh, satellite sensors. And the uh, basically, uh, methane is a greenhouse gas and is uh, actually stronger uh, absorption of um, heat energy than than carbon dioxide. Um, and uh, it's been identified as if you can reduce the methane emissions, you can actually buy time for uh, climate change and, and to reduce the carbon dioxide. Uh, so uh, these teams are, are proposing a whole set of different uh, approaches for um, identifying the methane emissions and, and, and uh, helping identify how to reduce them. And... Uh, and basically, you know, at attacking the main uh, main element of the climate change problem. Uh, and so we're really looking forward to uh, what the teams come up with. And we're, we're very pleased to have support from uh, the uh, New Zealand company uh, Orbica, based in Christchurch, uh, with along with um, Amazon Web Services, for their platform to analyze data and provide a computing environment for cloud computing for... So that even if you're in, uh, in like one of the teams in New Caledonia uh, with a not so great internet connection, you can still invoke these powerful com computations and the cloud and, and just get the results out. Mm. And we're really happy that uh, the New Zealand Space Agency is also, uh, and Callahan Innovation is uh, uh, some of our sponsors, as well as Australian Space Agency and the Philippine Space Agency uh, as well. So we've got really great uh, support from uh, the local and also the Pacific uh, region organizations that are either working in space or, or on climate related uh, issues. Mm -hmm. Chair, you've, you know, you've had considerable success with um, you know, space base and, and uh, you know, help really helping the, the space ecosystem here in New Zealand. But you have a you know a longer term goal of you know of working and helping other countries also to to move forward uh, in this area and of and of course with you know with the challenge you've already expanded that out uh, regionally and you have you know Philippines plugged in there mm -hmm. as well um, so yeah what what do you see as as the the next steps on that uh, that journey yeah I guess the we started, uh, as I mentioned, we started Space Base uh, really to focus on catalyzing ecosystems in developing and emerging countries. And New Zealand is sort of like just the first step. So for us now, we are starting to really focus on other countries as New Zealand ambassadors, um, where our learnings here, we want to basically help other countries uh, also do, do likewise. Um, and so uh, just over the past uh, few months, I have been uh, going 
kind of more outside to either India, Japan, um, U.S., and really kind of uh, helping other countries understand how we sort of like did uh, the the things and activities that we've done here and that it could certainly be done elsewhere as well. We're, we're also collaborating with other um, sort of like APAC or Indo-Pacific industry associations that are now also being created within their, the, the region. There's a bunch of countries now that also basically want to help others that are in a different like level of their growth. Um, and so the I, I think the the main focus now is the collaboration between countries. Uh, and for us, this is really fertile ground for us to kind of help uh, others by um, also applying what we've learned here uh, in, in New Zealand. Mm. Now, um, anything we do today, there's always, uh, you know, it's always looked at through sort of an environmental lens as, you know, as what's going on sort of, you know, positive for the planet or, or is it is it negative? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes these things aren't, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's, you know, pluses and minuses. Um, you know, how, how do you see the space sector, you know, fitting into to that? Because as a, you know, as a country, uh, you know, New, New Zealand, um, you know, we've, we've traded on the, the, the clean and green, mm-hmm. um, but it's, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a complicated area when it comes to space. I think at the Aerospace Summit there were, you know, there were some people outside, mm-hmm. uh, you know, protesting from, you know, from a range of uh, perspectives. Um, and and you know one of those was on on environmental um, grounds. So just you know, curious to hear hear your thoughts and and you know how the the sector is doing. Certainly in terms of the, the content at the Aerospace Summit, mm-hmm. um, you know it did seem to very much align with you know the, the typical sort of New Zealand uh, approach on things and 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 you know a real focus on the environment. Yeah, I mean the theme of the the, the summit was on sustainability, so it, it's it's very much um, I think aligned with what what you're saying, and, and for us uh, as well, uh, for the past few years we've been lobbying to say that I think New Zealand can actually own the brand of sustainable space, and we say that because even just like looking at the technology and the space companies that have. Uh, started over the past few years, they're all working on basically sustainable space. So, uh, of, of course, there's already those companies like uh, Rocket Lab that are working on reusable rockets. Uh, but then you've got also, uh, you know, Dawn Aerospace, who's, who's now uh, well known for orbital propulsion and uh, because of their green propulsion as well. Uh, you know, Zeno, uh, Zeno's technology is also based on uh, basically sustainable uh, propulsion because they, they're not even using fuel. Um, so all of the things that we're seeing and, and even on, on the New Zealand um, Space Agency where all of the policies and regulations that, that uh, they're doing is, is actually at the forefront of being sustainable in in. Sp- in space, um, uh, which all of these uh, basically show that New Zealand is really focused on uh, being environmentally conscious uh, and is, I think, 
uh, true to its culture of uh, stewardship. And, and I think that's something that New Zealand can be at the forefront of, of um, showing the, the rest of the world how it should be done. Yeah, a huge sector of uh, what satellites are going up into space for is is uh, monitoring the Earth, and and if you look at any of these, uh, you know, like climate change IPCC reports, um, you know, I I I think I counted, you know, 500 pages of the report talking about satellite data that they, you know, 90 percent of the data is uh, about climate change is coming from these satellite yeah. monitoring missions, and and. Uh, and and each new each year provides a new generation of of these uh, better <laughs> ability to monitor these things and or or like the uh, the tropical storm satellites that were launched from uh, New Zealand uh, a few months ago and mm-hmm. uh, and so it's uh, yeah the space is providing a big role in in monitoring climate change and and hopefully we're trying to you know, push things towards uh, finding the solutions in the climate change in the using the satellite data. Now, I'm kind of curious for uh, your advice, really, for for our listeners. There will be people listening in that either ha- you know have an interest uh, in the sector professionally, uh, maybe you know a family member that that you know has an opportunity around what to study and what to do uh, and so on. You know, we're going to have a, a, a range of, uh, of, I guess, interests across uh, across the audience and, and those listening today. We're, we're seeing such growth. We're seeing, you know, not only, you know, lots of sort of smaller companies, but, you know, bigger ones that are, that are growing very, very quickly. And, you know the roles that are becoming available. You know mm-hmm. aren't aren't just for you know those that mm-hmm. are that are steeped in engineering talent. There's there's That's a whole right. range yeah. of things, right. isn't there? Yeah. So I guess one thing to to note is that the definition of the space industry has certainly changed quite a bit. It's not just rockets and rocket ships or 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 missions and spacecraft. It's really the entire value chain of the industry. And so therefore, anybody who's like listening, who's passionate about space, think about what you're actually passionate about. It doesn't have to be engineering. If you're, if you're passionate about art, law, business, entrepreneurship, all of these are part of the space industry because somebody quoted before that you know, in the future, every company is a space industry. And uh, I'm, I'm saying that because basic, uh, basically every industry, the, the space industry is just an extension of every industry in an extreme environment. And unfortunately, today we are uh, in a stage where, you know, climate change is, is actually uh, wrecking havoc on, the, on daily life. And, and we are moving towards like extremer um, uh, you know, environments. And so space is just like an example of an extreme environment. And so if you can, again, it's just uh, um, whatever you're passionate about, that's what you should really focus on because there's something for you um, anywhere within within the industry. Yeah. Uh, I'd also like to point out that, uh, you know, usually uh, NASA sort of 
wants to present that they've got everything covered. Don't worry, you know, we, we'll figure everything out. And But every once in a while, they'll sort of sneak in a chart that says, here are the things we don't know how to do. And, and it's kind of surprising to see this chart with 50 items there that they don't know what to do. But uh, one of the big ones uh, for future long-duration missions is they don't know how to grow food in space, okay, and to just and uh, and I keep uh, mentioning to people in New that New Zealand knows uh, so much about this and is has uh, such good agrotech technology that um, there's only a handful of places around the world that are actually looking at at how do you grow you know self-contained food on long duration voyages and things like that which sounds pretty important right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. basically it's a showstopper if you don't have that you know you're not going so it's uh, I, I would encourage people who uh, are interested in that to to look into this because there's uh, australia just recently started an, a little research activity and so it's possible to, to connect with them but it, it there's only maybe you know i could count on one hand, all the places in the world that, that are looking at this. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously you, you've got the, the directory at Space Base, so that's a place where people can you know, have a look mm-hmm. and, and get a feel for the ecosystem. Uh, they can tap into the different uh, you know, things that you're doing to support the sector. Um, there's other resources like the, the Aerospace Summit that, you know, that we talked about and, and Aerospace uh, you know, New Zealand as, a, as an organisation to connect with. We've got more and more happening at, at a university mm-hmm. level as, yep. as well. I uh, chatted to um, some, some folks uh, from Waikato uh, University uh, this week and they were telling me around the aerospace things going on at Waikato University oh, great. Uh, yeah. that that I hadn't, you know, I yeah. hadn't heard of before. And, of course, you know, Canterbury and, yep. and, and Auckland. Uh, so there's, there's really a, a lot going on, a lot of opportunities for people to connect and the mm-hmm. varying, uh, you know, meetups. Um, yeah, and I actually, I also do a, a traditional podcast um, yes. where I interview people in New Zealand who also come from like different backgrounds and have now been working in the space industry just to see that, yeah, people from every different backgrounds can actually work uh, uh, in this ecosystem if they're passionate about it. Looking back at, at, at New Zealand, you know, we, 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 you alluded to the sort of the humbleness of Kiwis versus, you know, maybe the, uh, um, the the flag waving and and, yeah. and so on uh, in the United States. How how good are we? How good yeah. are our are our Kiwi companies that are that are working in this sector? Because the bits and pieces I'm seeing leave me feeling really encouraged. Yeah, I talked what? about or I I talk about this uh, a lot that the companies that we're seeing in the space industry in New Zealand are working on disruptive technologies. So pioneering technologies that if they become successful, they will impact and disrupt the whole world, not just New Zealand. So I'm really... I'm really excited to kind of like see where these these companies and where these young entrepreneurs are are going. So we're not just we're not just playing at the, you know, the real fringes no, on no, little minor things. No. We're, we're doing some serious work here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we're we're seeing 
uh, more evidence of that, you know, is day by day with, you know, like, like I mentioned, uh, I, I loved the, the idea of, of Zeno having, you know, like, uh, okay, we got one working now. Oh my God, we have a big order for <laughs> how many do they want? <laughs> and so it's like, uh, once you uh, show something is, is good and innovative, uh, I, and the world finds out about it. I think uh, I think New Zealand is in a good space to suddenly uh, capitalize on that. And, mm. and maybe to add to that, and the reason for that, which I also uh, always talk about, is that uh, I think the combination of uh, innovation and ingenuity born from the isolation of New Zealand uh, actually is, is why th this kind of like disruption is happening. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, and yeah, I should mention for, for listeners, you know, we do have um, interviews and, you know, and content that cover the, the likes of uh, Zeno, um, yeah, Rocket Lab, of, of, of course, um, and Dawn Aerospace. So, you know, look out, you know, look out for that, that content and, and find out a little bit more uh, about these companies. And there'll certainly be, uh, be more more coming as as things uh, progress. Now we we probably should also be um, be talking about what what government you know can do because you know there's 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 great stuff going on, but for for you know New Zealand's best success, we need government to you know help, not not hinder mm -hmm. uh, varying things. We are in a yeah. uh, you know very yeah. coming very close to. Uh, an election. So, if there were some, you know, some some takeaways that we could share, um, you know, with with our politicians, what what do you what do you think it should be that we would be, you know, asking asking them to uh, you know to consider? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the a recent milestone was there's a, a now a aerospace strategy uh, approved by the government and uh, and also the space policy and the space policy and and so um, as I understand these we needed these umbrella kind of documents that say you know uh, that the government is is endorsing these areas that uh, and now uh, projects and initiatives can be uh, initiated at, at below that and within the those uh, those strategies and policies, uh, and so I think um, a lot of this is just uh, uh, the, the people that we've we've worked with at the New Zealand Space Agency are very good, and they have lots of ideas about what could be done, and they just needed like uh, the 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 government to say um, yes, we endorse what you know the broad strategy of what you're trying to do, and now uh, there's. I, lots of ideas for for individual projects, and, and I think mm -hmm. if the government just uh, uh, encourages the the lower level of and uh, in, in sort of um, uh, you know and uh, uh, enables these people to to take action at the that a working level, I think uh, I think that's really good. Um, and the other area that we often focus on is you know there are a lot of really good ideas that are very at their very early stage but it's always uh, a bridge you know a, a jump but the, for the initial amount of funding to get to the stage where they're worthy of of the investment uh, for you know that can be developed by uh, by local investors and uh, it would be helpful 
if there were lots of these small, routine, predictable uh, uh, amounts of money for some of these startup ideas. And, you know, Callahan has uh, lots of great programs uh, and that, that will help, uh, help these uh, new companies. Uh, but I, I think we just need to, you know, figure out what is, what's needed to, to get more of these ideas to the stage where they can, uh, you know, either be invested in or, or dropped and mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we have to realize that there's going to be, uh, the majority of the, the startup ideas are not going to work out, but, but some of them will, will take off in a big way. Basically funding, I think is the most important yeah. uh, thing and um, while there are some that exist, because the space industry is so risky and very new, uh, today the, the, the funding that's available, you'll have to compete with traditionally or already successful industries. Mm. So, uh, or, or real estate. <laughs> or real estate. <laughs> so it would, be, it would be great to actually have some like dedicated funding for for the industry itself uh, to get those um, idea stage, basically um, companies to get from a higher uh, level of growth. And in addition to funding, do we do we is there a, a pace problem? I mean, it seems governments generally don't move particularly fast, but mm. when it comes to the, the the space sector, things are moving very fast. Mm-hmm. And and if there's a policy that gets set. And it doesn't get iterated mm. upon and improved and 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 adjusted sort of quickly. What can be you know leading edge sort of space policy? Uh, you know, one day before you know it, suddenly you know we're out of date mm. and and the policies don't line up to support the sector. Is is that yeah. a risk or do we do we appear to be you know moving along? I, okay, I think actually New Zealand is 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 very good at policy and like and regulations uh, compared to like other countries most places, most places. Yeah, yeah. so um, I think at the at the moment that's not uh, that's not a real issue uh, and it's actually I think it's a strength the agency here is fairly small and they have to focus on what uh, they're really mandated to do I think if again if there's potential for funding for the agency to be bigger so that they can also work on other um, areas that are lacking um, to to develop the, the the industry faster. I think that's also another thing. Mm-hmm. And it is possible. It's uh, when when New Zealand wants to move fast, it's possible to move fast, yeah. and and that's that's really good because it's uh, you know I like to think of it as the power of small. It's like um, you know. You may you may think there's there's some elements of bureaucracy here, but you have no idea what we deal with <laughs> yes. in the U.S. And uh, <laughs> so, if New Zealand chose to, you know, they could um, it really push the limits of you know in, in advancing policies and uh, on things like you know they. Uh, they could develop new policies, you know, on on space debris. You know, they're getting getting close with the active debris removal, which would be, a, you know, uh, uh, setting a precedent for around the world. They could be uh, choose to have policies related to the moon or or uh, deep space or or uh, and things like that. And so, um, it, I think 
I don't think New Zealand really appreciates uh, how uh, the small uh, size of the government agencies allow them to move, be agile and really yeah. uh, set uh, and then lead uh, around the world. And so it's uh, there's opportunity there. One more tangent, space debris come up in a couple of times and, you know, from the varying, you know, discussions and and things that I've been hearing recently, it's a much bigger problem than, you know, potentially, you know, most of us recognise. Is that... Is that correct? How how big are the risks? Yeah, if, we, if we're mm-hmm. just sort of relaxed and and just kind of you know let it be as far as sort of you know space debris concerned. Yeah, things we really need to start taking care of the, especially um, I guess there's a target list of fifty large debris objects that it would be really good if we can get those down okay. because yep. if they collide with each other you know there's bus sized uh you know uh upper stages left over from launch from the Soviet Union and and if those things run into each other then they create a huge amount of uh increase in debris uh that'll break that, up into yeah, lots yeah, of pieces lots of little yeah. pieces yeah and so um so we're not um we're not at the what's called the Kessler syndrome yet but we're very uh but it will gradually increase unless we uh, in, unless we take action, and and so, yeah, I had it was interesting to spend the last month studying it with uh, people from sixteen countries and and coming up with trying to propose solutions for how to better navigate with these uh, large number of satellites to dodging the debris. Because you know we've 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 gone from having you know low single digit you know thousands of of satellites in space. To mm-hmm. where we're expecting, you know, that to be somewhere between fifty and a hundred thousand sort of satellites. So you know, the, this decade, yeah, that is, and and if you've got things sort of, and they they fly around, you know, super super fast. Mm-hmm. So if we end up with lots of bits of space debris, then you potentially, you know, problems launching or even yeah. you know trying to trying to put astronauts up and and so on, right? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. When, one one comment I heard from the experts on this was that the 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 large number of uh, satellites in constellations are doing a pretty good job of mm, of steering mm, and mm. and maneuvering around each other and and avoiding debris, um, but there are a lot of uh, uh, people launching things that without control without planning that are crossing these orbits and uh, and that's is uh, um, uh, that's not a good a good thing and there's it's not a desperate situation yet, but we really need to take uh, better, bigger action. And and a lot of people say that New Zealand has uh, has taken the appropriate action and should be a model for for what we're doing. So that's great. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to uh, to come and join us on the podcast today. Uh, some incredible insights and and fascinating to. Uh, uh, to hear uh, some some of your stories along the way, um, so all the best uh, for what's next, and um, you know, con- congratulations uh, again on your uh, Care Friends of uh, New Zealand award. All right, thank you yeah, very much. Thank all you right. so much for having us. Thank you. Well, thanks everyone for uh, joining the New Zealand Tech Podcast today. I hope you really uh, enjoyed hearing uh, from Eric and and Emmeline. 
and uh, look, make sure you do, uh, you know, follow what they're what they're doing uh, if you found that of interest. And uh, we'll be back again for another episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast next week. And of course, a huge thank you to our wonderful show partners, Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, Two Degrees, and One NZ. All right, thanks everyone. Catch you next week. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.